Feels like a Tuesday and ain't. It's a Wednesday. How are you, Dan Nathan? Market call 1 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be joined. And I know folks are so excited. Carter Braxton Worth in just a few minutes. This episode of Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Oh, by the way, they're also our data sponsor, Dan Nathan, data provider, I should say. By the way, again, great win last night by a gritty Ranger team against a surging Carolina Hurricane team. Rangers down a goal a few different times. Big third period, empty net late. 5-3 5-3 victory at home. I'm feeling good about things. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, Carter is coming with some really interesting data, Guy. I didn't know this. He's got a chart of the S&P 500 since its inception. It might Stop have been the it. first year you started trading in 1928, was it? I think. I, um, I, I just didn't. I actually had no idea when the, uh, the S&P 500 um, – was uh, conceived, um, but it was all the way back in the eve of your career there, 1928. So he's got some data on back-to-back down years. That'll be interesting to take a look at here. But, you know, it's interesting, guy. My final trade last night on CNBC's Fast Money was was basically what I did. The first thing I did yesterday was I bought some puts in the queues. I've been actually really um, not particularly active over the last week and a half. We've been kind of like getting, you know, 2022 behind us and setting the stage for 2023. And I felt like I had a good trade into um, today's opening. And we're going to talk about some of the moves and why I felt pretty good about it. But, man, talk about rip your face off from the lows in in the morning. And, you know, like... This is the sort of action, and again, you say this all the time on on, on market call or whatever. Like, it seems like the panic buy the panic that we see in the markets um, is is to the upside, right? And and that's what we've seen off the lows. Let's like, throw up a two day chart of the S and P five hundred year because yesterday did not have a great feel to it, but today it's a different story. It's a different story, but as we're speaking here, you know, you're watching the market sort of sell off a little bit. And I would say, you know, don't give up on those puts just yet. You still have some Fed minute. Listen, there's a lot to happen without question. And to your point, though, and I think I'm glad you brought it up. And outside of a handful of days over the last 12 months, I was going to say this year, obviously we're in a new year. The panic has been to the upside. And you you can see it over and over again because I think people like, holy shit, I can't miss Apple at 125 or I can't miss Salesforce.com at the levels we're seeing. So when you see exaggerated moves to the upside like that, to me, that's not indicative of a bottoming formation. It's just indicative of more and more people chasing. You're going to see that capitulation. My sense is you're going to know it when we get there because it's going to be on huge volume. It's going to be on a day where the VIX is probably north of 35 or thereabouts, and it's going to feel miserable like it did in June and like it did in October. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, you and I have been in the markets for a while and we trade long short um, and we have our whole careers. And, you know, it's funny, we get questions all the time, whether it be on market call or on the tape or people that we meet just generally, you know, who are not institutional investors. Like, what does it feel like to short a stock? Most people who are in the markets have never bet against Mm -hmm. a market or an individual security. And I'll tell you, it feels great when you're getting things right, but when you're getting it wrong, it makes you second guess everything about it because, again, you're betting on something that is not the normal occurrence, I think, for most investors or most investors' experience. So sometimes, especially when you're in an instrument like you know a put, you're defining your risk, but it also can go away very quickly through mm-hmm. decay and that's and the like here. But well, you know, it's real quick, just to yeah. you know, when I first started in the business, as you mentioned in the late 1920s, yeah. one of the first lessons yeah. you learned is if you're short something 
your loss is effectively infinite. Now I know that's oh. not going to, but you know, the stocks, when you're long something, it can only go to zero effectively. When you're short something, it could obviously go to an infinite number. And I think that's what scares people a lot. And to your point, markets typically are high, long biased, which yeah. makes it very difficult to be short. However, some of the best trades in history of mankind have been from the short side. So that's yeah. a bit of the conundrum here. But I think today's Today's action, there's a lot more day left, and I don't think this day is over in terms of the moves we're going to see. Well, to your point, we have the Fed minutes coming up here um, in, in the not-so-distant future, what, a little less than an hour or so, and that could definitely uh, cause a little bit of volatility. And again, I mean, I think on a day like today, it, it's really it'll be interesting to see what the commitment is to the buying that we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing some really good strength in the banks. We highlighted um, that yesterday, coming off a little bit um, with yields down, um, we're seeing some strength in like home building related sort of names too. I think that's interesting. And I think, you know, the big story is to me that you're seeing dollar down, yields down, crude getting um, Schmeister. We're going to take a look at that in a second. You know, that's all good for stocks here. Let's look at the NASDAQ really quickly here, guy, because again, we're seeing the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, the ETF that tracks it. We're seeing this consolidation below these sorts of um, levels here a little bit. It feels heavy you know and you and i were talking this morning we we're kind of thinking about what we wanted to talk about a market call is i saw a sea of green on my fact set screen okay across multiple different sectors and i'm looking at the qqq which i again am long puts up and i'm saying wow this thing is down here and i'm looking up and i see microsoft down five percent microsoft is a two trillion dollar market yeah. cap or nearly that, the largest weighting in the NASDAQ 100. I also saw Amazon, which you highlighted, was making new 52-week lows. The Google, or as you call it, the Alphabet, down nearly 2%. Now, those obviously went green. Apple was unchanged. You know, Tesla looked like it was going to go down on the day. I thought I was going to have a good trade on. And again, to your point, I still might. But talk to me about Microsoft on a downgrade by UBS, I think, down 5%. That is a huge move on, on, on something that you and I might think, you know, not significant one way or another remember a few quarters ago and i mean i don't want to get into revisionist history but microsoft yeah. reported a quarter i think the stock uh closed that day around 255 the knee jerk was to take it down to about 242 until in the conference call they said we're not seeing demand destruction that coincided by the way back in june with the market sort of ripping to the upside and microsoft went from effectively 245 in the aftermarket all the way back to close to 300 and I think people realize, well, wait a second, that quarter wasn't great. And it's just a matter of time before they start to guide on demand. And I think basically what you've been seeing is upper left, lower right, still an expensive stock valuation wise. And I think that's what people are coming to grips with. But you look at this stock here, unless we have some, some sort of weird island reversal, which we potentially could have. I mean, this, like the NASDAQ, is probably going to go back and take a look at the lows we saw back in October. So what does it say? It says we're not done yet because if a stock like that can move to that magnitude to the downside, it suggests that there's other there's other damage yet to be done in the broader market. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I just want to pull up a chart. I, I, I hope, I sincerely hope that some of like, you know, Carter Braxton, where it's his kind of fairy dust, his, his skill. Has oh, I kind like of, fairy dust. It's kind of, no, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, 
I don't know, fallen on me a little bit when I was putting this chart together. I was thinking this is a chart that Carter might put together. It's a log chart from the beginning of 2016. And he probably has done this. I'm probably just ripping it off here. But look at that uptrend that has been in place there, guy. And the fact that it broke it and then it retested. It failed at its 200-day. It never got back to that uptrend that had been in place all those years. I mean, this is kind of a broken chart here. So if the fundamentals start basically justifying why this company might deserve a lower multiple if Azure, which is their, you know, their cloud, if that's the thing that's not going to be contributing the way it has over the mm-hmm. last few years, then the multiple should probably be a little less. All right. On the flip side, here's one that I think is kind of interesting. Um, Salesforce announced a 10% personnel cut here, more than 7,000 employees. We talked about this name a few weeks ago when the co-CEO, Brett Taylor, left. Another senior executive had left. It seemed like that was one way to get rid of some hefty salaries. Now they're going for some others here. Talk to me about this one. This has been a steady downtrend. If you look at it here, I mean, the lines, as Carter would say, draw themselves. And if you look at you know a multi-year chart, Going back to, I think, the start of 2019, we're kind of getting to some really important technical support levels. Thoughts here, because losing senior management, you're seeing downgrades of some of their peers for some high growth sort of areas. This is an expensive stock here. Are these sorts of job cuts enough to maybe to help put a a floor in the stock near term? Listen, it obviously helps. But if you think about it, I mean, well, Mark Benioff acknowledged that it was his fault that they overhired. That's fine. I mean, I get it. People make mistakes. It's not a problem. It's still an expensive stock. So go back to that prior chart real quick, because I think this is interesting. I mean, that's still a pretty well-defined downtrend. I mean, effectively, the 200-day moving average is a trend line in and of itself. I think, and we pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the trade was on that what felt to be capitulation, big volume days. You're looking for a move back to the trend line. 139 now, the trend line of time decay probably comes in at 150. I mean, it probably trades back up there. We've seen it before, but it's still in a downtrend. Now, if you go to this next chart that you had up, which I think is interesting as well, I mean, the other way to trade it is wait for a break of that trend line and maybe we get to the 200-day moving average, which probably comes in either side of 165 or thereabouts. That's how I look at this, Dan. If you're longer term and say, you know, maybe that was a bottom in in Salesforce and maybe these layoffs suggest that they're getting their financial house back in order and you can look past valuation. I'm not there yet because I still think this is an expensive stock. Yeah, I'll just say this, and I'd say this for many stocks like this that seem to be pandemic winners. And if you think about some of the kind of secular tailwinds that, you know, a SaaS company like this, which is really a roll up, though, if you think about it, um, you know, I I think you're going to see the come at least at the the pandemic lows okay for march of 2020 and possibly mm-hmm. sort of below that so again i think you want to be careful but the idea of kind of starting to dollar cost average on some names that you think might benefit from some of those tailwinds that we talked about that are you know engaged in these big secular moves um that's great but the valuations um and the capitulation have to line up and they haven't happened yet all right here's one where we haven't seen capitulation we've talked about it a lot guy but i want to talk about crude oil you know the chart is pretty simple in and of itself rejected at that downtrend um that 70 dollar level from last month i think is kind of important and then if you look at it on a multi-year basis you know do we get back to those late 2021 um you know lows Mm -hmm. which is what 62 63 because get through 70 and that's where the air pocket is in my opinion um thoughts on crude i know that you want to be bullish of it but in the near term 
you know, especially with the weather that we're seeing here, might we see a retest of those December lows and then a retest of the December 2021 lows? A couple things, and that's a great setup. So I said yesterday, if I'm being honest, which I try to be, if, if I were to look at this and I had just said prior to the crude chart that, you know, Apple had a rolling moving average to the downside for the first time in a while, it traded right to a trend line. But if I look at crude, the same thing is in store, right? We traded to this uptrend line or the downtrend line seemingly failed you had every reason to blow through it the other night when you saw the china reopen and for a brief minute crude did catch a bounce but the fact that it couldn't hold it was problematic if you want to still be bullish so you look at this and say you know what we failed a number of times at that downtrend chances are we're going to trade down to those basically the the lows you you put out from last october which probably comes in a little bit north of 60 bucks now the question is, what's going on with the broader market if that were to happen? I think people would say that's got to be bullish for stocks. I'm not sure that's the case because, again, it suggests demand destruction and slowdown in economies. But, you know, this is one you've pointed out a number of times. The real question is, what are the underlying equities going to do? And as I said last night on Fast Money, despite the fact that crude has sold off significantly, you know, you looked at Exxon last night at 108 or 107, still just off its all-time high. Same with Chevron, same with Conoco. And the fact that OIH was still trying to hang in there around that 290 level was interesting. I think a lot of people would say it's just a matter of time before the underlying equities give it up as well. Yeah, I kind of agree. Let's just look at the XLE, um, which is, you just mentioned Chevron and Exxon. I think they make up, what, 40% of the XLE ETF. And I just drew a simple line here in around that kind of 84 and a half level or so. And you see, you know, right between the 50 and the 200 day. And it just feels like, again, you know, this is well off the highs relative to where Exxon, one of its largest components is, you know, to those recent highs. This just kind of feels heavy to me, Guy. I think Mm -hmm. at some point investors are going to rotate out of these names considering the fact that, you know, and we've talked about John Butters and his estimates for, you know, energy contribution to S&P 500 earnings trailing off in the Q2. I just think that this is going to be a crowded trade where people are going to look for other areas where they can get the sort of growth in earnings off of, you know, a, a trough sort of period like we did in energy over the last two years. So what does that look like? And then back to your OIH, which is oil services. Again, this looks like a lot of overhead resistance at some levels going back, you know, a year or so. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they get back to the 200-day and they find some support support there. Um, but you've been uh, you've had you've had a lot of really good calls. These have been really volatile sectors with some big moves over the last you know year and a half in the equities. And I think it really makes sense to see that relative. And I think Carter would agree the relative performance to the commodity are very important. We should bring Carter in. And as we do, I want to just give this matrix of compassion, which is a great screen name. I have a feeling that guy in high school was a doo-wop guy. That's funny because it suggests <laughs> I was in high school around the era of the doo wop artists. Fifties, yeah, fifties, like the like the platters yeah. and and the, the you know those types of groups. Um, and yes, I probably was a doo wop. We went to the sock hop in high school, Dan. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's bring him in, Carter Braxtonworth of War Charting. You know him. You love him. I mean, Carter have, off, has any of, have any has any of the CBW pixie dust? Has it kind of landed on Guy and me here? Are we yeah, okay? Are we okay on some of these things? Yeah, we're of course, of course. I had I too went to sock hops in high school. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. All right, you know, talk you get to- a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> 
Give, give us, Carter, before we get to some of your data going back in the S&P back to 1928, I think it's really interesting definitely to put some of these that kind of the potential for multiple down years in some context. Give us a sense of what you're thinking about the early um, the early 2023 volatility. You, you heard us talking about kind of the back and forth that we've seen. You know, sometimes you see some funky action as people are repositioning um, portfolios for what they think is the new year will bring. Thoughts on just on the, the one and a half days of trading that we've seen so far? Yes, yeah, certainly has been and volatile and and, and great um, great swings. Think uh, commodities are basically in free fall, and yet gold is surging. The biggest company of all, Apple, is in free fall, and yet Chinese internet stocks are surging to the upside. It's it's something for everyone. I, I think one thing we do know is that earnings, which ultimately are important, will inform the direction of major stocks and, by inference, the market. Um, once we get into that, which is in the next sort of three weeks. So we shall see. Um, my bias is stay on the cautious side, continue to be risk averse. And that uh, even if it's not down or down a lot, the prospects of up big seem small. So it leaves us with a muddle, a market that basically chops or I think goes lower, of course, but nothing that would suggest, hey, off to the races. Yeah, and a quick one for Guy. You know, Charlie Munger, he's the the number two over there um, at Berkshire Hathaway out there in Omaha. Just turned 99 years old. When you think about that, so Carter's going to give us some data going back to 1928. And if Munger was, you know, like 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 me, you know, trading his bar mitzvah money when he was like seven or eight years old, he might have like started trading, you know, like the S&P 500 back in the day. Guy, what was your instrument well, there, of choice back there then? There were so I'm many sure. problems with that. First of all, if he were seven or eight, he wouldn't be trading his bar mitzvah money. Maybe his oh. older brother's bar right. mitzvah That's money, number meant. one. Sorry. You tried to trick me there. Yeah, I did. Uh, my instrument of choice back then was just, you know, we used to go to the curb, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And we used to sort of trade uh, bubblegum cards of our – and my favorite player, of course, was like a Tris Speaker yeah. or like, like a Cy Young. That's yeah. what we used to do. All right, fair enough. All right, Carter, walk us through this a little sure, bit. Because, sure, you know, You know, one of the things that we've remarked on many occasions is like, you know – Back in 2000, no one kind of wanted to believe that the, the, the market, the bubble had popped, right? You know what I mean? There were still fits and starts. There was a lot of volatility. There's a lot of counter trend rallies, that sort of thing. I think in late 2001, it was pretty clear. And then 2002 was just a bloodbath that felt horrible. And the market actually got worse. It felt like, you know, year after year. But then, you know, if you had that sort of scar tissue from that period into the financial crisis, you know, you might have thought we we're going to have a protracted bear market. 07 closed up. 08 was the only down year, right? And then 09 was like off to the races and everything. So talk to us a little bit about that because the psychology around multiple down years, consecutive down years, is something that most investors in the markets right now have no experience with. Well, that's right. And so there are two ways to look at it. I mean, the calendar in and of itself is arbitrary, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so having a down year is not that rare, but back-to-back -back down years is fairly rare. At the same time, Back-to-back -back down years, what's that, 24 months down? The market's had plenty of rolling 24-month periods where it's down. But uh, we've got a chart here, and I think it's it's sort of good optics. Red is down. Those are yearly bars. Black mm -hmm. is up. And you can see there just in the little um, legend that down years are, are not that rare, 31 out of 94. But the issue is then back-to-back -back down years. And again, it's a little bit of a calendar quirk, but let's look at it. So what does it take to have back-to-back -back down years? 
Well, those aren't just random periods. Let's just talk about those. So four back-to-back -back years, what was that? 1929, 30, 31, 30. That's the friggin' depression. So that's a major event. Look at the next one, 39, 40, 41. Uh, that's called World War II. I'd call that a major one too. The next one is 73, 74. That was two back-to-back -back, and that's pretty major. That's inflation way higher than we're seeing it now. Uh, interest rates much higher, OPEC, oil crisis, much, much worse. And we had a bear market then, of course, of 50%. And then, of course, the final back-to-back -back in this instance, three, what was that? That was a major event too. That's the dot-com valuation boom and bust. So on a calendar basis, it would take, it takes an epic thing to get back-to-back -back down years. But, and again, say this again, if you just forget the calendar itself and having any 24-month period where the market is down. There are plenty of them. Yeah. Guy, what, talk to us about 29 to 32. Uh, well, I mean, that was a tough yeah. year for me, obviously. You know, I was yeah. just turned 30, and, you know, I thought my career was off yeah. to a great start, and then, obviously, the wool got pulled. But what's interesting here... And you didn't I mean, die in the war. You yeah, didn't no, die I did not. War. You know, it's World amazing. War I was a pitch. By the way, I think they just came out with a remake of All Quiet on the Western yeah. Front on the yeah. Netflix, which I'm sure is just fantastic. Uh, with With all that said... You look at corollaries here. I mean, you could take a little of the late 1920s where we are now, and you mm -hmm. could definitely, the one that sticks out to me, Carter, is 72 into 73, 74. And I mention that because in 72, they thought they had killed inflation, only for it to come back in spades in 73. So that 73, 74 corollary to where we are now, I think is the reason why this Fed's going to stick around a lot longer. And I see a lot of people in the commentary here talking about Neil Kashkari, who's completely full of shit, by the way. <laughs> he couldn't have got it more wrong the first time, and he's getting it wrong now. But he talked about a terminal rate, and he's become as, about as hawkish as anybody out there. So my point in bringing 72 into 73, 74 up is I think this Fed remembers what happened or at least studied history enough to understand that even when you think you've defeated inflation, it can come roaring back, which is the reason why I think they're going to be a lot stickier than the market thinks, which is the reason why you could see another down year this year, Dan. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'll just say this, you know, anecdotally, because I, I think that a lot of the ills of the 90s and the monetary policy and the risk taking and, and, you know, just not only here, but globally was really wrung out in that extended bear market that we had in the early part of, of this century. And I think that, you know, we might really benefit, I, I think, as an economy. Um, and, uh, you know, like if we were to have multiple down years in the equity, and I don't mean, you know, you know, crash, you know what I mean, in, in the stock market and seeing other risk assets really come back to down to normal levels. We all know the excess that happened in the housing market and why it happened. And then there's some really weird guy, you bring this up all the time, supply demand dynamics that, you know, like they need, need to be worked out. So I think multiple years of people, like a bit of rationalization around risk-taking might be a really good thing for you know returns going forward so you know for whatever that's worth all right i want to say this you know Hold on real um, quick so yeah. just i see jay saying jay rice just said guy repeating what michael burry said a few days ago yeah i guess so except that if you've been watching we've been saying it before and i'm not look there's no way suggesting that michael burry knows who i am or watches what we do but yeah a lot of the points that he made dan and you brought this up yesterday yeah were points we've been making for months into this so anyway i just wanted to no i'm, guy, I'm not repeating I, what michael said i mean this is something that i've thought for quite some time 
Jay, go back and watch yesterday. I mean, Guy has said this. Uh, he literally has said exactly what Michael Burry said probably 10 times on market call over the last, I want to say, three to four months. He said it on Fast Money a lot. And I, I thought it was actually very interesting because it was almost to a dime what, what you had been saying. Um, I want to say this, Carter, about your work. And, you know, um, a lot of our viewers, they get to see you on Fast Money. You come on here and we're really fortunate about it. I mean, you do a lot of what you do. You're showing us here on market call. You're doing on worth charting here. And again, this is not me like shilling for for worth worth charting I, I know how many institutions um like big money accounts um read your work every day talk to you um every day and how many retail investors for the first time other than on fast money you know what i mean get to see an options action get to see your work it's an extraordinary body of work and i congratulate you i think you got started um at the beginning of last year of what you've been able to do and i think people only get to see a little bit of it on what we do here so congrats on that and thank you and and i just want to tell our viewers go check out we're charting because you're doing this all day and night They're, oh look at that there it is nothing slick um just charts and you do a video and i watch it often at midnight every every freaking night at midnight and this morning's was nine nine minutes yeah nine minutes. yeah i do thank you for that i i you know i, I it's funny i'm mean, just as a background you know, i've been uh for 30 years uh started 1989 at a college um on wall street and always worked for firms, but the last firm I was working at were for about six years, they sold out uh, to another firm. And so at that point, COVID, I thought I'll just go on my own. And so what's what's so fun about it is that all of the institutional clients and relationships continue. This is literally, not to just say it, but it is, it's every major mutual fund company, every major hedge fund, every pension plan, endowment, and, and while it's not every, it's 80 plus percent of them. And now what I can do is also interact with individuals and yeah. have a product and offering uh, research uh, for them. Well, we're fortunate to have you here with us on Market Call, so we appreciate it. Let's let's walk through a little bit because I, I, I thought on this morning's video that you had, you were talking about, obviously, you talk a lot about relative strength. You talk a lot about pairs. And I think it's interesting you mentioned that commodities are crashing, but there's one commodity that you like. So walk us through a little bit of your view on the commodity sector in general, and then you're going to just make Guy a happy man because you're going to talk about gold in a favorable way. Yeah, I mean, so it is all gets back to where we peak inflation and hard to know. But since the Ukraine war, it has all peaked. We know oil, uh, Wall Street was calling for $200 a barrel. It turned out to be the peak. We know that nickel and other industrial metals peaked because there was going to be no nickel supply. And in general, we've been going down since then. And what's happened is the opposite for gold. I think I've got some comparative charts and we can. OK, so here, these are two very liquid ETFs. You can trade them actively, trade millions of shares a day. One's the iShares. Um, and one's the Invesco, uh, but uh, you see the tickers there. They all peaked there in February, uh, which is the invasion, and they've been going down since, versus gold, which has been going up. And, and that's an important sort of uh, bifurcation, if you will, or divergence. I think I might have some relative charts and we can look at it. Well, first, actually, look at these ETFs themselves. I mean, talk about a trend line. Mm -hmm. Well-defined bounces to the penny. And now, once you break trend, and if you do kick back, throw back to the underside of the trend line, hit your head, it's just a very bad position to be in. So that's the GSG. There's the D DBE. It's the same thing. Um, and I might even have here or for fun. Now, do this another way. This is a two panel. It's gold on the top, and it's gold's relative performance to the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which is the, really the biggest one of all. And what, what's so important is that gold continued to go lower 
all through the summer and autumn of last year. But what was its relative strength doing? It was already starting to advance compared mm -hmm. to other commodities. That's the bottom panel. Um, we might have more. Oh, these, these are fun. These are long-term charts. Every chart you'll see now, there's probably six of them. We can go quickly. They're all the same, but the drawings are different. There's a trend line. It's very well-defined. Another way to draw the lines, I mean, talk about toying with the prospects of breaking out. Here's another way to draw the lines. Can you call it a cup and handle? It doesn't matter what you call it. It's what consolidation. Let's draw another one. Is it a head and shoulders bottom with a big upside? Okay. Or this. Now, that's a big uptrend for 10 years, 2000 to 2010. And now look, what has it done? Next one, a big consolidation mm -hmm. for 10 years. So let's toggle those two back and forth for fun. Big uptrend, big consolidation. Uptrend, consolidation. So 10-year advance, 10-year rest. Put them both together. And, I mean, talk about set up well. Play for the breakout. Listen, I'm so with you quickly. Somebody said <clears throat> they don't trust GLD. They trust a physical. I don't want to get into this now because we don't have enough time, but I have said it and I believe this. I think there's a scenario where gold could go higher and GLD, the ETF, could go lower. I know that's somewhat counterintuitive. Just keep that in mind, number one. Somebody also said, Forget Descartes, it's just chart. Of course, speaking of Rene Descartes, who famously said, I think, therefore I am. I think you should instill that. And Carter, maybe for the next time you're on, um, somebody has said HYG over TLT. This is Ryan Fink. Maybe we could bring that tweet up or whatever the hell those things are. Uh, is, is at an interesting level. I didn't even think to sort of put those two together, but I don't know. Maybe this is something you can take a look at. And, and I don't know if it makes sense or not, but just something to throw out there. So anyway, back to you, Dan. Yeah. Hey, Carter, real quickly, before you get out of here, um, you know, you've had a really nice call on K-Web. That's the Chinese, um, you it's know, uh, the oh. Internet ETF guy has been pounding the table on Alibaba, one of its largest components, yeah. I think, for a couple months now. I just want to throw up the um, FXI chart because the FXI ETF that checks the large cap um, Chinese stocks, it's yeah. largely made up. Those those top mm -hmm. components are, are of Internet stocks. You know, those are my lines, not yours. You've been yeah, calling yeah. No, for up good. food. Give, give me your I, take I, on that. And then, yeah, yeah the guy on Alibaba. I think the, what's important is it's knowing when one commits capital, what the price objective is, what are you looking for? And therefore, by definition, what is your time frame? And so tactically, something that's up 80% off its low, could we write calls or trim? That what's, comes to mind. Structurally, if one just, watch this, I'll pull my chair way back and let you, so you say, my God, it's just beginning. So the point is, it's, it's, it's both. Yeah, it's overdone day to day. Today it's gapping up, there's news everywhere. And yet structurally from back here, wait a minute, this thing just is starting to turn. So it's all about timeframes. Here and now my hunch is to trim a bit. Yeah, listen, real quick, Dan, because we're running on against the clock. But we have mentioned Alibaba since October. It was Halloween of 2020, I believe, it was a $300 stock. And here's a good chart. And we have said along the way in this significant downtrend, you've seen 35 to 50% bounces. As a matter of fact, I think over the summer, we actually, to the day, said that here's a stock that could rally 35% over the next couple of weeks. It happened over the next two trading days, and I believe it was October 21st, where we traded down to 58.63, closed that day at 63 on more than two times normal volume, and we said at the time, there's your capitulation. It probably trades back to 90, and well, it's a lot higher than 90 now, but my point is, I'm not saying Alibaba is fixed. I'm not saying China's fixed. The K None of this is fixed, but 
the trading opportunities along the way on the upside in a significantly uh, very well-defined downtrend have been historic in a word. Yeah, you know, listen, and I have a friend who has been in the markets for a long time, and I, he was keying off a couple comments that, that on fast money. Again, back to Carter's timeframes, I think this is really important, where I just think it, it's a bit of an uninvestable sort of market. When I say investable, from a longer-term time horizon, if you look at what's going on between the U.S. and China, you know, like to me, I don't think we're ever going to be in a shooting war with China. I think we're going to be in a massive mm -hmm. economic cold war, and I just think that that's going to be something where it's not going to be a great place to invest in you know, U.S. listed Chinese stocks or Hong Kong, you know, so to me that, but by the same token, I think it was about a month and a half ago. Remember I detailed a bullish trade idea in the FXI on market call when yeah, it was did. down at two and two, 22 and a half. So it's tradable, um, but it's not something that I want to put my investment dollars to. All right. That was it, Carter. Thank you very much. Guy, take us yeah. out, my main man. All right. So last year it was no emojis with hearts, just charts. I'm sort of digging this. Forget Descartes. It's just charts. Bitch. I don't know if you can put that on your website, but it would be good. I'm sure yeah. you're not going to clip that. Listen, our audience is fantastic. A lot of great comments. Thanks for joining. Carter, obviously, first show of the new year with you. Unbelievable last year. I'm sure this year is going to be great as well. We're lucky to have you. I know our audience feels the same way, so thank you. We'll be back tomorrow, Dan, with EY from SoFi. Maybe a little bit of Butters as well. Obviously, want to thank FactSet, not only the sponsor, but our data provider, Enjoy the rest of your day. Fed Minutes coming to a theater near you. This could get really interesting, Dan.